Lord, I want to come to you this evening and ask your help. Been uh, had several people share with me this week about some physical needs that some had. Lord, you know each need and each situation. I pray that you would guide and direct and minister, strengthen their bodies. Lord, use this time to bring them closer to you and to their brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, I think of some in our own church body who've been away for a while because of health needs. I'm speaking with Katie Spencer this week, I pray that you'd continue to work in her body and strengthen her, Lord. Help her son Michael and the rest of that family, Lord, that you would encourage them, strengthen them. Lord, I thank you that Brother Larry's getting his strength back some and able to be here at church. I pray that you'd continue to encourage him and help him. Lord, I pray for some who have been away traveling. I pray for their safety, that uh, you would bring them back here safely and they'd be able to uh, be back in their normal routine of things. Lord, I pray for several who have made professions of faith over the last few weeks. I pray that you'd work in their hearts and help us as a church to reach out and minister to them and help them grow in their knowledge of you and in their walk with you. Lord, I pray that we would stay faithful as individuals in our own personal walk with you. Lord, it can become very busy as we think about new Sunday school classes or new outreach opportunities or mission works and all of these things. And while they are of great importance, it's all nothing unless you are doing the work through us. Lord, help us not to minister in our strength, but in your strength. Help us to maintain the walk with you that we need in our time of prayer, our time in the Word, our time meditating on truth and memorizing your scripture. Lord, help us not to grow weary in well-doing in those areas. Lord, I pray for the children in our church. We have many that you've entrusted us with. I pray that you'd help the parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and, and the church family as we come around them and encourage them to grow and to learn more about you. Lord, help us to be the faithful Christians at home in front of our children that we want everybody to think we are when we're at church. Lord, help what, our, what we say and what we do and our attitudes to be truly pointing others to Christ. Father, I pray that you would bless our missionaries. I'm thankful for their faithful service all around the world. We got to hear from several this week. I pray for Brother Garlic and his cancer Lord, I pray that you would heal his body. Lord, thank you for the blessing that he was to us. I pray that you'd encourage his wife and strengthen Teresa as she cares for him. Lord, I thank you for the answered prayer. Many here may not know about this, but for their uh, daughter-in-law and, and the child that she's currently pregnant with, we thank you for uh, helping them through a very difficult time during this last week and that both mom and baby are doing much better. 
Lord, we thank you for uh, the ministry that Ron White and Don Sisk had with us and David Cripps. I pray that you'd be with each of them as they're all traveling right now on around the world, sharing the gospel, uh, challenging others. For David, as he raises the support that he and his family need to come back here and to plant the New Life Baptist Church. I pray, Lord, that you would be with our other missionaries. I think of the Pridgens. We got to hear from him on Monday night. And thank you for the work that you're doing over there. Lord, in the, they have the churches and the, the Bible college and, and the Christian school and the Christian camp. And they have so many things to keep them busy. I pray that you'd keep them close to you. Provide for their needs. Pray for the Shelbys over in Uganda as well, that you would just uh, help them and encourage them and provide for their needs. Lord, we have many others, of course, that uh, we need to be praying for. And I pray that as a church, we'd be faithful even during the week to take that list and to pray over those names and to pray for those needs and, and uh, encourage them as we're able, whether it's through a note or a physical gift, Lord. I thank you for how you're working in our midst. I thank you for the spiritual growth and the change and the, and the movement in spiritual walk with you. I pray that we would continue on in our pursuit of you in everything that we do. And I pray now as, as Garen comes and preaches to us and challenges us about what you've burdened his heart with, that we would, as a church, be able to come along and help to bear that burden through prayer. Bear that burden through support and bear that burden through helping to send them on in the work that you've called them to. And we look forward to seeing what you do, Lord, through them as they stay faithful with you. I pray that they would walk with you, guard their hearts, uh, strengthen them, encourage them, strengthen their marriage, Lord, as they continue to grow closer to each other and closer to you. And Lord, we'll give you the praise and glory for all that's done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Aaron, come preach to us now, brother. Good to have you with us here tonight. Thank you again. Appreciate that. All right. I thank you again for having me at your church. Appreciate it. It's been a pleasure being here. We've really enjoyed it and I uh, really appreciate it. If you guys will turn to Matthew chapter 11, I'll actually have you turn to two places uh, this, uh, this evening. Matthew chapter 11 to start off with and then also if you can hold your finger there, and also turn to Luke chapter 1. Matthew 11 and Luke chapter number 1. I'll say a little bit about uh, Nigeria and then um, I'll get into the message tonight. Uh, I did mention earlier uh, that we definitely plan on being church planning missionaries. That will be the focal point of our ministry. We want to start churches, uh, but a, a secondary focal point of our ministry will be uh, starting a children's home. And that'll be a little bit down the road. Uh, Nigeria is home to 17 million children that would be considered either orphans or vulnerable vulnerable children and so there's a huge need for that as well so we want to start a children's home a little bit later down the road uh and i'd love to answer any more questions you guys have about nigeria or if you guys just think i'm a really cool interesting person you have questions about my personal life i mean have at it i'd love to answer any questions uh for sure or, or my wife as well at the at the end at our, our table and if you haven't gotten our prayer cards we'd appreciate if you would take one of those and pray for us we would much appreciate that matthew chapter Number 11, uh, actually first we'll, we will go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse number 13. It says, But the angel said unto him, this is speaking of Zacharias, uh, which was the father of John the Baptist. He said, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy, power is heard, thy prayer is heard, 
and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Now shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. Go back to Matthew uh, chapter number 11. Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 11. Uh, this is towards the end of John the Baptist's life. At the end of his ministry, he's sitting in prison. And this is uh, what Jesus said about John the Baptist. He said, Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be in church tonight. And I thank you, Lord, for this church and just for what you're doing here, uh, just the stories I've heard and just where they're at spiritually and in other ways, just after just only two and a half years. Thank you so much for what you're doing here in Houston. Pray that you will continue to to uh, work here, and I pray that you'd help me as I preach tonight, Lord. I pray that uh, you will do with you, through your word and your spirit what I can't do in my flesh, Lord. We pray that you be glorified, and I pray that you help us to draw closer to you as a, as a result of this time in your word together. I pray that you help us to love you more as well. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us and showing and demonstrating and proving that love for us on the cross 2,000 years ago. We love you. Thank you for loving us, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. When you have the, the, the conversation in various different sports. I'm a big sports guy. I love sports. And in different sports, you have all these conversations about who is the greatest, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. In basketball, a lot of times there's, you know, question, there's uh, arguments you can make for Kobe or for LeBron or for, uh, or for uh, Jordan. And, and, you know, you can, have, you can make an argument for any of those three. I don't really like to get into those arguments. I don't really care. I like all three of them. And in football, you know, it's different by, by position, uh, but typically when you come down to who's the best quarterback of all time, usually it's between Tom Brady and Joe Montana. Uh, it, but when it comes to the sport of boxing, there really isn't much of an argument. Most people would definitely agree uh, that throughout the sport, the history of the sport of boxing, Muhammad Ali is the greatest of all time. He is the GOAT, and he definitely saw himself. If there's anyone in the world who thought he was the greatest, it was uh, Muhammad Ali himself. And according to his biography, Biographer, uh, there was one time he was on a flight from Washington, D.C. to New York, and uh, he, uh, the, the stewardess was telling him, hey, it's, it, we're about to start flying. It's not, you, need to, uh, you need to buckle your seatbelt. Uh, and he said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the stewardess uh, was able to come up with a quick response. He said, Superman don't need no airplane. <laughs> and Muhammad Ali, in, in the eyes of, of, of really America, and especially in the eyes of himself, he was the greatest. He was this Superman sort of an athlete. He was great in the eyes of himself and in the eyes of sports lovers throughout the country. But tonight I want to talk about what greatness is, not in the eyes of sports fans, not in the eyes of someone who's full of themselves, but what is greatness in the eyes of Jesus Christ himself? If you'll turn real quick to Luke chapter number 22, uh, tonight's message is a little bit topical. We'll turn to a few different passages tonight. Uh, Luke 22, Luke 22, Jesus talks a little bit more about what he sees, what, what greatness is in his eyes. Luke 22, uh, verse number 24, uh, Jesus says, he says, and there was, also a, there was also a strife among them, among the, the apostles or the disciples of Christ, which of them should be accounted the greatest. And, he, and by the way, it was in this context that Jesus 
gets down and washes his apostles' feet. It was in this context, in this setting, uh, that he goes down and does that. And right before he's about to go to the cross, he gets down on his feet and wash, he gets down on his knees and washes the, the feet of his, of his disciples. But I believe that he was motivated to do that because uh, these, these apostles who have been following Christ for three and a half years, uh, at the end of his life, when he's about to go to the cross, the thing that was on their mind was, which one of us is greater than the other 11? And Jesus says, he basically gives in in physical demonstration, you want to know what greatness is, I'm about to show you what greatness is. And uh, that is uh, the context, but this is what he says right before that. In verse uh, 24, uh, there was, uh, I'll start at the beginning of the verse, and there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest, in verse 25. And he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors, but ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you let him be as the younger, and he that is chief, as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. Well, Jesus kind of puts forth this picture and says, you know what, if there's these dignified people sitting at the table, and uh, there's this butler that comes from the kitchen and serves them, which one is the greatest person in the room? And you would think uh, automatically it's probably the person who owns the house and who is the employer of the butler. But Jesus says, you know what, I'm the one who's the butler. I'm the one who's serving. Turn to, uh, turn to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says uh, some other things about what he sees uh, greatness and and what he sees as what greatness is. Matthew 18, uh, verse number 1. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's interesting that the apostles are always consumed with this thought. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Uh, They walked with the most humble man in all the earth for three and a half years, but they still couldn't get out of their mind that it's not about me. It's not about my name. It's not about uh, me being uh, greater than anyone else. It's about him. And they still couldn't get that concept, but Jesus had to, to teach them on a different occasion. Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Verse number four, Whosoever sh- therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of of heaven. It's interesting if you think about a little child. A little child knows how small he is. A little child is dependent upon his father or his, his parents for uh, the food that he eats and for the shelter that uh, he has over his head. If a little child uh, doesn't go around uh, thinking that he can conquer the world because he knows that my dad is much bigger than me, my dad is much stronger than me, and I can't do anything without him. And Jesus says, you know, this is the mindset that we need to have, that, there's, that we are, as little children, we, uh, the people that are the greatest are those that really think of themselves as the smallest. And he said, that is what greatness really is. And I think we could use, in America and around the world today, we could use some more great men. We could use some more great women. We could use some more great Christians who aren't necessarily great and maybe in the eyes of the world, but who are great in the eyes of God. I think of some great Christians whose stories and whose lives have had an impact on me. I think of my favorite missionary, Adoniram Judson, someone who was so brilliant as a, as a young preteen. He was teaching Sunday, adult Sunday school from the Greek language, and he was teaching the book of Revelation to adults. 
He was someone that, he was, he was literally a genius. He could have done so many great things in his life, but he decided to go live in a third world country where his life would be at stake, where he would later be in prison for, uh, for I think, a year and a half, and where uh, he would lose his first wife, and he would lose his second wife, and he would lose uh, several children because of sicknesses, and where he would uh, suffer and, and almost die himself because of the torture that he went through, and he would go uh, and wait six years until he saw his first convert, but because of the sacrifice that he gave for Christ, and because his life was not about him, it was about Jesus, and because of the labor that he, uh, that he, uh, pr- that he pursued and that he had uh, in the country of, of Myanmar today, or, or Burma back then, uh, there were hundreds of thousands of souls that were saved as a result of the foundational work in the terms of missions that he laid uh, on that, uh, in that country. I think of great Christians of the past. I think of great Christians of even of the present. I think of people who had an impact on my life. And you don't have to be in the ministry full time, if you will, to be a great Christian, to be great in the eyes of the Lord. And I think of a man uh, t- t- about 30 years ago, more about uh, 20, actually, no, 26 years ago when I was two years old. I remember there was, well, I don't remember, but you remember hearing about it. Uh, there was a man who worked, he lived in Lancaster, California, worked at Edwards Air Force Base, and he prayed for his coworker. Uh, that he would come to church. He invited him. He was unwilling. His coworker Chris was unwilling to come to church, and uh, and he he said, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna pray that God will take away his sleep until he comes to church. And so we prayed and, and asked the Lord, Lord, I pray you would take Chris's sleep away so that he'll be bothered about it and that he'll come to church. And so we prayed this for a few weeks. And then after a while, he asked Chris. He said, Hey, Chris, how's it going? I'm uh, just curious. How have you been sleeping lately? And then Chris said, uh, that's weird that you asked. I haven't been able to sleep much lately. And he said, yeah, I've been praying that God would take away your sleep so that you would come to church. And, and Chris came to church. And, and then Chris's uh, sister came to church. And, 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 she, and her, his sister was my mom. And, and it, I came to church as a two-year-old. And we came for a couple years. And, and, it, and then we stopped coming. But then our, our, I'll never forget the testimony of this man who for 30 years still now is working this bus route, going into the poorest part of town in Lancaster and bringing uh, kids in. And he He's up in his probably early 60s now, and he's still working on that bus, bringing kids in. But I remember uh, when I was six, I came in on that bus, and I came uh, and got saved uh, riding that church bus coming into church. I heard the gospel, and I received Christ as my Savior. And I'm thankful that there was a mailman who decided that for 30 years, I'm going to serve in this bus ministry. And there's not going to be many accolades I'm going to accomplish through this. There's going to be a lot of kids that are going to come through the system and and not really uh, make it all the way through. But I'm going to serve the Lord because I love these kids and I love uh, what Jesus can do through them. And because of his faithfulness, and because of a man who decided to witness uh, to his co-worker, uh, there is a missionary on his way to Nigeria today because of what God has done. And I'm not saying that there's something great about me, but I am saying you don't know uh, what God is going to do through the person that God leads you to witness through, uh, witness to. And I just think of the great Christians that I have encountered and uh, that have had an impact on me in my life. I think of a missionary named Brian Stensis, and he served in Uganda for 21 years, and uh, because of some health conditions, he couldn't, he couldn't stay on the field anymore. He had some very uh, bad foot problems, and uh, his pain is so unbearable, he can hardly uh, walk for, for short distances, and he came to a point where he realized, you know, I can't live in Uganda anymore uh, because of, you know, they don't have the wheelchair accessibilities, and they don't have those accommodations for, for handicapped things like that, and so he had to come back to, uh, 
to the States and start teaching in Bible college. And I was finished with college and, and I was a pastoral degree. I didn't go into missions and then God called me to missions. So I remember coming back and, and sitting in on his classes and just hearing story after story after story after story. And just after a couple months of that, I was like, man, I know where I want to go. I want to go to Africa. And it was through his teaching and through his ministry and through his life and through the stories of what God used him to do in the country of, of Uganda that God called me specifically to, to Africa. And later on, he narrowed it down to Nigeria. But I think uh, of these great Christians of the past that have made an impact on me. And I'm sure you can tell stories of those that have had impact uh, on you. But I know that we could use some more great men and great women. And I think of John the Baptist, it was prophesied before he was uh, even born that he's going to be great in the eyes of the Lord. At the end of his ministry, it's really interesting. Uh, I, won't, I probably won't dwell on it, uh, I probably won't delve into it today for sake of time, but if you kind of study the context in which that statement was made in Matthew 11, 11, when Jesus said that statement about John the Baptist being the greatest man ever born of a woman, if you read the condition spiritually where John was in when that was said about him, it's a fascinating, very encouraging uh, truth that you can get uh, and that has helped me tremendously in my life. Uh, but it was prophesied before that he was going to be great, and at the end of his life, uh, Jesus said he is the greatest man ever born of a woman. And today I want to talk about why John was so great. Why was what was so great about this man, this John the Baptist? And if you study the life of John the Baptist, you realize this was a weird dude. Okay, he was someone who lived out in the wilderness, and uh, he ate grass, grasshoppers, and he addressed himself and uh, the. Uh, clothing made from camel's hair. He was uh, a weird guy, and he, uh, he kind of had the, uh, the unluxurious job. And of course, uh, no apostles and no disciples you know, of Christ ever had a luxurious job, but, but I think of John the Baptist, he never got to do any miracles. He never got to go serve alongside with another disciple. He was out by himself. He never got to, to see Jesus uh, rise from the dead, and he never got to see the risen Christ, and he never got to see a church planted. He was lonely. He was out in the, the wilderness. He had to do some of the background work. He had to do some of the work that was necessary. And he laid the foundation for the one that was coming that was the greatest of all, which was Jesus. And he was willing to live a humble lifestyle. He was willing to, to have a ministry that wasn't going to make him anyone's favorite character uh, in the Bible. He was willing to live a ministry that wasn't uh, great uh, in the sense of uh, what the, the fruit that he was personally going to see and the churches that he was uh, going to the plant and uh, just the miracles that he was going to see and the people he was going to heal. He didn't get to experience a lot of things that, 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 uh, that, that Paul did and Peter did and, and so, much, so, the, so much of the other uh, apostles of of Christ, and uh, he didn't get to experience those things, but there was someone who had to come and do the quote-unquote dirty work behind the scenes that didn't get all the accolades and didn't get the, 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 uh, did, that didn't get uh, him the recognition that so many people like myself sometimes want. And if you look at him, there was nothing really great about him. He didn't really accomplish these great feats of ministry. But in the eyes of Jesus, this was the greatest man who was ever born of a woman. We find in the eyes of Jesus, greatness is not about the things we accomplish. 
It's not about the money that we, that we accumulate and put into our hands. It's about the money that we take out of our hands. It's not uh, about, the, uh, it's not about uh, the, big, the name that we build for ourselves. It's about the name that we build for Christ. It's not about the kingdom that we build. It's not about us and lifting ourselves up. It's about us saying, you know what? It's not about me, Lord. It's about you. And today I just want to talk about four reasons why John the Baptist was great. Four reasons why John the Baptist was great. Number one, he had a very high estimation of Christ. He had a very high estimation of Christ. If you turn to John chapter 1, John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse number 27. Find the beginning of the, the ministry of John the Baptist. John chapter 1, 27. And this is John the Baptist speaking. He said, He it is, speaking of Jesus, who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latch it I am not worthy to unloose. And then in verse number 30, uh, verse 29, he said, The next day John uh, seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And as soon as he saw Jesus appearing on the scene, he said, Okay, don't look at me anymore. Look, this is, this is the one you want to look at. This is the one you want to behold. This is the one uh, that you should cast your attention and your affection on. And, and later on, verse number 36, it says, In looking upon Jesus as he walked, and uh, actually verse number 35, again the, again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looking upon Jesus, as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And notice the exclamation mark there at the end of that, at the end of that verse. And uh, one day Jesus, uh, John saw Jesus and said, Man, behold, the Lamb of God. And the next day he was still amazed that that's the Lamb of God. He was still amazed and he still said, This is someone to behold. And this is still someone he was pointing uh, others towards. And he had a high estimation of Christ. And he said, Man, there's someone coming whose shoes I'm not even, I'm not even worthy of coming and unlatching uh, his sandal. I, I, this is someone who is far greater than me. My favorite passage on, on Jesus Christ is Revelation 1. Revelation 1 and verse number 12, it says, And I turned to see, this is John the Apostle, a different John, and he has a vision of Jesus Christ in his glorified state, which uh, we will see him when, in when we get to heaven. And he said, I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, that speaks of his holiness. As white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like undefined brass that speaks of the judgment that he took for us, and as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters that speaks of his power. And, and verse number 16, and he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. He's, he said, I looked upon his face, and if I had just human eyes, if I was looking upon him, uh, literally, I wouldn't be able to look at him because he's so holy, he's so transcendent, he's so far above anything. I can imagine he's so far above his own creation. And my favorite part about the passage is in verse number 17, because a lot of times when we have a passage that, that talks about the holiness and the transcendence of God, a lot of times it's followed up with a, a verse or, or a proclamation of his love. In verse number 17, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And by the way, that's 
That's the position we're going to take when we see Jesus in his glorified state. There's no other proper response to then to realize, man, I'm going to get on my knees. I'm going to lay prostrate on the ground because I see the one who is holy. I see the one who is transcendent. I see the one uh, who is far greater than anything I could ever imagine. I may have had this perception of who Jesus was on earth, but now that I'm in heaven and I see him in his glorified state, there's no other response uh, naturally that I can have but to get on my knees and fall down as dead because I see how great he is in the light of how how ungreat I am. And he said, he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, fear not. And I love how uh, as transcendent and as holy and as, how, as, as different as God is from us, he's still willing to reach down and touch someone who should be uh, deemed untouchable. We're filthy in comparison to his holiness. But he was willing to reach down and still lay his right hand, his good hand upon us. He said, fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. And the wonderful thing about Christ is that in all of his holiness and all of his transcendence, he was willing to come down and die on that cross and pay for the sins of the world and take the ultimate price. And uh, the Bible says that he was wounded for our transgressions and uh, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace uh, was upon him and with his stripes uh, we, are, we are healed. It says that he was, uh, uh, it says in, in Isaiah 52 that he was, uh, his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Basically his face and his body were more brutally beaten uh, than anyone up to that point uh, in, in human history. We have this God Almighty coming down in human flesh and dying on the cross for us. And when we get to heaven, we'll see how awesome and how holy and how transcendent God is. But John the Baptist said, even during his ministry on earth, hey, man, let's just stop right now. Stop looking at me. Behold him. When's the last time you beheld Jesus Christ? I was thinking about that yesterday and I had to answer that question myself. It's been a while. It's been a long time since I just kind of thought about the cross and until I thought about how much Jesus loves me in in light of how unlovable I am. When's the last time you beheld Christ? He had a very high estimation of Christ, but secondly, he had a very low estimation of self. He had a high estimation of Jesus, and he had a low estimation of of himself and in the world's eyes it's all about how great I am but Jesus said John was great because he realized how low he was and John said man I'm not even worthy of touching his shoes that's how uh, that's how unworthy and that's how low and that's how base that's how unspecial I am. I, I, I've heard this story. I don't know if this is a true story or not, but it's helped me. Whether or not it's true, uh, it has helped me a lot in my life, and it's a reminder for myself. I heard the story of a man, a young man who graduated from Bible college, and, and he, was, uh, he had memorized so many sermons, he prepared so many sermons, and he thought, man, uh, now that I'm done with college, I'm ready uh, to be a blessing to these churches. I'm ready for the world to see how special I am, and these churches are going to be changed because I'm going to come. And after he graduated, there was a church that came and invited him to come preach. And so he came and sat in that front, that, that front pew just waiting for the pastor to call upon his name, ready for this church to just be blessed because they were in his presence. And so uh, the pastor called him up, and he kind of walked up to the pulpit with his 
uh, with his head up high, and he just thought, man, I've got this sermon memorized, and, and I've been spending all this time. I got all my theology down. I spent four years in Bible college. He walked up with his head up high and, and thought he was just going to be something special in that pulpit, and he got to the pulpit. And he spent about five minutes stuttering and stammering, and nothing came out. He walked dejected with his head down uh, back to the front pew, and a wise old lady in the church, she said, if you would have walked up to the pulpit the way you'd walked down from the pulpit, you could have walked down from the pulpit. You walked the way that you walked up to the pulpit. And I, in my personal life, and if nothing else, this is for me, I need to remember, because so many times, uh, I, I remember in Bible college, my favorite class was, was the preaching class. I think we called it uh, homiletics. And so it was my favorite class. Uh, but a lot of times in my pride, I realized it was my favorite class. Why? Because I was excited about the compliments I was going to get at the end. And sometimes God has to remind me and say, hey, Garen, Remember where you were when I called you to preach and you thought there's no way, there's no way I can stand in front of uh, a group of people and, and speak on the Bible for 45 minutes. Remember when I called you to preach and you were, so shy, you were so shy and you thought there's no way I can be a preacher. Remember where you were when I called you. Don't think that just because you've got some experience now that you're something great. I love the life of Solomon. Not Solomon, sorry. I love, I love reading about the life of Solomon, but I love reading about the life of Saul in the Old Testament as well. If you, if you study the life of Saul, you realize, man, Saul could have been an awesome king because he got off to a great start, a great start. And, and other nations were starting to fear Israel because uh, he, was this, uh, he was this mighty warrior and, and just uh, people were, everyone was just realizing, like, this is a great king, he's a mighty warrior, and, and everything was going great, and God's hand was upon uh, the nation of Israel when, when he first started to reign. But after a while, it kind of got to his head, and he thought, man, I've conquered this nation, I've conquered that nation, I, I think I'm something special. And, and long story short, there comes a time when, uh, when uh, Samuel, tells, uh, Sam, Samuel tells Saul, hey, God told me that you need to go and do this task. And, and Saul says, okay, I'll go do it. And he goes and does part of it, and he comes back, and he had partially obeyed the Lord. And Samuel basically tells to him, uh, you know, in partially obeying the Lord, you have fully disobeyed the Lord. And, and he says uh, to Saul, remember when God called you to be the king of Israel, weren't you small in your own sight? Because if you read back to when Saul was first called and Saul was first told by Samuel that you are the one that God has called to be the first king of Israel, Saul was nowhere to be found. He had hidden himself because he thought there's no way. He said, I'm the smallest, I'm from the smallest family, from the smallest tribe of Israel. There's no way that I'm the guy. There's no way I could possibly be the king of Israel. And, and he becomes the king and, and he starts, everything goes to his head. And there comes to a point where God basically says, you know what? You've ceased from being usable. Because when you stop being small in your own sight, that's when you stop being usable by God. And sometimes we've got to realize, man, I've got to realize that there's nothing special about me. Anything great done in my life is because of Christ. And John was great partially because he had a very low estimation of himself. But thirdly, John was great because he was always pointing people to Christ. He was always pointing people to Christ. And that really what his, is what his ministry was. He was, uh, he was uh, called, he was prophesied in Isaiah and the book of Malachi. And he was, uh, he was prophesied to be the person in the New Testament who was going to come and prepare the way 
for the Messiah. And he laid the foundation. He told people, you know, Jesus is coming. You need to repent and uh, you need to, to confess of your sins. And, and that was his ministry. And he was always pointing people to Christ. And I wouldn't necessarily recommend having uh, the methodology that he had and just getting in people's faces in the way that he does. We need to obviously have grace and truth. But he was somewhat uh, he was someone who was always pointing people to Christ. Uh, Adrian Rogers was one of my favorite preachers that I like to listen to from the, from the old times. He's uh, back from, I, I don't know, the 70s or 80s and maybe early 90s. And I love listening to some of the messages that he has preached. And I heard that at his funeral, there was a kid that came to his funeral and, and, and he said, man, dad, did, did Jesus die? And his dad said, no, uh, the, the preacher died, but Jesus didn't die. He said, why do you think Jesus died? He said, because I always saw him at the end of the service when he was done preaching. He always said, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. He was always telling people to come forward at the invitation to get saved. And he was so known for calling people to come and get saved that this, man, that this little boy thought that it was Jesus that had died. And I'd love for my legacy, my life, if you will, to be known as a life that pointed people to Christ, that, uh, that was separated towards the gospel as Paul was in Romans chapter 1. But John was great because he had high estimation of Christ. He had a low estimation of self. He was always pointing people to Christ. And thirdly, or fourthly, sorry, he lived for God's glory and not his own. He lived for God's glory and not his own. John chapter 3, if you'll turn there, uh, this is probably the last passage I'll have you turn to tonight. And thank you for uh, turning with me to several passages tonight. John uh, chapter number 3, my life verse, my favorite verse in all the Bible is John 3.30. It's very simple. I guarantee you, if you don't have it memorized, you can memorize it tonight. It's only seven words long. He must increase, but I must decrease. Uh, it's a wonderful verse. I love that, that passage. I love that verse. Uh, but this verse is amplified by the context in which John says this and what he says uh, before. Uh, verse number 28, uh, ye so, because the, the context is is uh, the, the people that were following John, uh, they were his disciples, what, what they're referred to as, and, and they're realizing, you know what, G there are more people now that are following Jesus than that are following you. And G John basically has, is telling them, no, that's how it should be. I'm pointing my disciples to Christ. They're only my disciples until Christ came, and now I'm pointing them to him. It's not about me getting a big following. I'm trying to point everyone to him. And then he says in verse 28, Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent uh, before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and, and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. And if you study the, uh, the Jewish wedding, you find that the, the friend of the bridegroom or the, the friend of the groom was, was basically kind of fulfilled the role uh, and, and even more so than uh, a maid of honor today. The, the friend of the bridegroom was the one who did a lot of the preparations. He sent out the invitations and he did a lot of the work preparing uh, for the actual ceremony, for the actual feast, for the actual uh, event. And he was the one who, uh, at nighttime, when it was time for uh, the, the bride and the groom to meet in the, in the marriage chamber, he was the one who waited at, at the door and made sure no one else came in. And he wait, waited in the dark, and he waited for the voice of the bridegroom, so we knew it was time to let him in. And he said, at that point, my joy was fulfilled. It was all, it was all about uh, me getting ready for him. And, and he said, you know, if you think about it, like, there's, there's, not, much, there's not much glory for the friend of the bridegroom. 
He does all the work and preparation uh, for what's going to happen, but the wedding is not about him. The wedding is all about the bride and the groom. And he said, like, the joy that I get is knowing that I was the one who behind the scenes did all the preparations so that he can get the glory. And on that note, that's when he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. It's not about me. It's about him. And John's life was not about his glory. It was about Christ's glory. And if you think about it, it's pretty awesome because we as, as the church or the bride of Christ, and our life right now should be our life should be us being the friend of the bridegroom, us doing everything for the groom, Christ. But once we get to heaven, if you think about a wedding, the wedding is more about the bride than it is about the groom. And I'm not saying when we get to heaven, it's all going to be about us. It's going to be about Christ. But we are going to forever enjoy uh, the full uh, embodiment of Christ's love and his grace uh, towards us for all of eternity. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, 7, then the ages to come. We're going to experience the, the full extent of his, his grace uh, toward us. But on this earth and during this lifetime, let's be the friend of the bridegroom. Let's do the behind-the-scenes work of building the, uh, giving glory to the one to whom it is due, uh, not to ourselves. John had a very high estimation of Christ. He had a very low estimation of himself. He was always pointing people to Christ, and he lived for God's glory and not his own. And because of that, in the eyes of Jesus Christ, he was the greatest man ever born of a woman. In 1988, Gary Smith, a, a, a famous and very, uh, very good uh, Sports Illustrated sports writer, uh, he went to the house of Muhammad Ali. This was seven years after uh, Ali's uh, retirement from boxing, and he came uh, to his house, and uh, he watched him box a little bit at the gym, and then he drove uh, to, out to his barn, and he came into the barn in the, in the back of his property, and just with no emotion, no excitement, no facial expressions, uh, he showed him inside that barn, and he walked in, and he saw all these, all these posters, all these portraits of of Ali and his glory days with his fists up high and just, just celebrating the victories he had in the ring. And he, he noticed that all these pictures were not hung up on the walls, but they were laying on the floor and they had pigeon droppings on them. All these trophies had uh, cobwebs and pigeon droppings on them and he started turning them so that they faced the wall and not out towards the open space. And, uh, and, and this sports writer was like, man, there's no excitement. There's no, where'd all the, where'd all the glory go? He walked outside, and Muhammad Ali, he muttered, muttered something, and uh, Gary Smith, he said, I, I couldn't hear you, what did you say? And he said, I had the world, but it wasn't nothing. And this is someone who, in his eyes and in the eyes of the world, had accomplished greatness. But at the end of his, after his career, towards the end of his life, he realized he had the wrong perception of what greatness was. And I think we could use some more men and some more women who, in the eyes of Jesus, are great. Some soul winners. Some, some people who are just, you know what, Lord, everything, anything you want from me is yours. I'm living for you. I'm breathing for you. I'm going to do the behind the scenes. I don't need the recognition. Lord, you must increase, but I must decrease. And if we're going to be great in the eyes of the Lord, 
we're going to have to have the mindset that, Lord, it's about you and it's not about me. Pastor. Great scripture he just read at the end, John 3.30. He must increase, but I must decrease. And I would just ask you to think through uh, your week coming up and uh, in what ways you could say, well, I had this big plan. I was going to do this. I was going to do that and going to go here and, and make this happen and uh, think about how God would have us to uh, lift him up, take ourselves out of the way and, and trust him instead. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'd help us. We've heard a wonderful challenge tonight from your word and from the life of John the Baptist and thankful for this man who did live for you faithfully and who fulfilled his purpose for uh, your purpose for his life. I pray that we would take this wonderful example of a life lived in faithful service to you and be encouraged and challenged by it to be faithful even this week through what comes ahead of us that as unknown things come our way that we would seek you, put you first, Lord, that we would think less of ourselves and more of you. Thank you for Garen and for Annalise and for the ministry that you've called them to. Pray that you would help them and guide and direct them on this path and and Lord, I know they'll learn in even a greater way as I continue to learn day by day that uh, we must be completely dependent upon you. Lord, I pray that you'd help each one in our church this week as they go throughout their daily activities, that you would guide and direct their paths, that you would strengthen them, give them wisdom for the choices and opportunities that they have. Help them to put you first in everything they do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much for that. And uh, I'd like to, if we could, take up a love offering tonight for Garen. If you didn't come prepared for that, it's okay. You can always send it in later, or we have the text to give as well. The I think it's 84321. You text that on your phone, you can send them out that way. But if you're able to give something, we're going to pass it along to him. We as a church will take care of him. We always do that as well. But he's been a challenge to our hearts tonight. So I think it'd be appropriate if the uh, Lord would lead you to give some to be able to do that for him as well this evening. And uh, we'll just take that up. And, and then after that, we'll pray and we'll be dismissed. If you have any questions for them, make sure you go back and see them at their table and really check them out. I had some questions for him this afternoon and uh, we're going to have them over to the house this evening. Looking forward to talking to him a little more, hearing about what they're doing. And I'm praying about as a church what we may be able to do on an ongoing basis to be able to support this family and to help them as they go and serve the Lord over Nigeria. Men, let's take up this offering now. Father, use this gift now uh, to encourage Garen and Annalise as they travel on down the road. Please take care of their needs. Help them, Lord, as they really desire to get to Nigeria as soon as possible. But Lord, I'm thankful that you have a ministry for them even right now. And tonight that ministry was to us. Thank you for working in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.